Thank you for choosing the Abide College Ministry Podcast. If this is your first time listening, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message inspires and challenges you. Awesome. Thanks, Hunter. Appreciate it. Man, it's so cool. Um, I've heard a lot about uh, Abide, um, been kind of following the journey of Hunter and Blake, um, I don't know, about a year, trying to figure out, you know, when I think Rome, Georgia, um, I think far away. Uh, because I just only pass it or passing through it, going rock climbing over in Alabama, over at Sand Rock. So it's like Rome's like the last gas station that you can go to before you get into no man's land. Um, then I started thinking about Rome, like as I heard about different ministries and stuff, I'm like, Rome, oh, that's where Chick-fil-A has a camp. Um, and that's the only thing I thought about Rome. And then all the windshapers, yeah. Uh, and then I started thinking as I started to figure out who... Uh, Blake and Hunter were, I started to figure out like, oh, there's college students. I mean, I knew Shorter College and Berry College and community colleges and stuff were around this area, but I didn't know um, that there were like college ministries uh, where people would come for either, you know, semester, um, four years. And I was talking to Hunter uh, just before everyone got here. It's like, this is crazy dynamic because for me, uh, the ministry that I do is um, literally two spectrums. Spectrum number one for me is like camp, retreat, or like, for instance, uh, a time where I just come in tonight. So I meet people for like like an hour or like six days maximum. That's it. Your face, your name, where you're from. So I have this mindset of like, okay, God, let me be intentional. Let me figure out what I'm supposed to say, do, be used for this amount of time. Or back home where I live in Noonan, Georgia, it's where, um, you know, I literally spend hours and hours and days building uh, disciples, trying to figure out how to be a better disciple. Um, And it's not always like a real goal, but it's kind of this hidden, manipulated goal in my mind that if I disciple someone for four years, they just want to stay at home and go to a community college and keep serving in our ministry. That happens about once or twice a year to where people will graduate and say, hey, I'm just going to go to West Georgia and I'm going to live at home and continue to do ministry. Um, This is also a really cool dynamic. We have a college ministry at home that what happened is uh, college students would be in the ministry just like this. Um, They would be in college. They would graduate college. They would fall in love with someone at the college ministry. They would get married, get a job where we have the college ministry. And then it's this awkward stage. Y'all will go through this when you're like 23, graduated college, but you're not quite like an adult. I struggle. I'm in my 20s. So when people like, hey, all the adults come in here, I'm just like, ah, which direction do I go? Because I'm like, I lead in high school ministry. But if like, anybody raise your hand real quick if you have um, kids table, adult table at Thanksgiving. Y'all have that? Okay. So to this day, I would much rather, if you follow me on social media at all, moving forward, you will know um, that I'm just ridiculous, and I love hanging out with kids um, younger than 10-year-old, and my nieces and nephews, I have like, and I have to say like, because we're receiving more and more of them often. I have five sisters, two brothers. Um, one of my sisters uh, has adopted a new child every other year or so, so they're just like, sure, more kids. Honey, get another job. More kids. Let's, you know, um, <laughs> Seriously, so I have, at this time, legally, uh, 12 nieces and nephews. Like, by next Tuesday, it'll be up to 12, I mean, 14, something like that, because um, we're adopting them literally from 
uh, defects in different places, younger than the age of three. Um, so we can legally change their name. If they're older than three, it's awkward um, just to like change your name when you've known that your whole life. When I came in the door, y'all started worshiping. Um, it, it was kind of a weird dynamic for me. Um, and what I mean by that is you never know who's ready. Uh, I know in college, you know, people always ask, and it's like the grandmother thing to ask, like, so you ready to graduate? You know, or like, so what are you going to do after college? I don't know. I've switched my major seven times. I really don't know. Don't ask me these questions. It's the same. It blows my mind. It really kind of ticks me off with parents. Um, some of your parents with this, it's like you're a sophomore. They're like, are you studying for the SAT? I'm like, really? As a sophomore? People now are literally in ninth grade, like thinking about going on college tours this summer. I'm like, that's a thing, like right now. And I'm like, okay, because already your parents are already trying to plan your life. You're in college, and they're trying to plan who you're going to marry, when you're supposed to graduate, on time, with the minimal amount of college debt. And then I'm like, okay. So as I walk in here and look, I started thinking that question, who's ready? And it's cool when I see, and I'm really trying not to stereotype anyone in the room, um, but it's impossible for me not to do that because I'm a people watcher. So as I'm watching, I could tell, and I'm not going to point. I told Hunter, I was like, I'm not going to point them out. But I could tell people when they walk through that door, who was ready to hear from the Lord tonight, um, who was here just because someone made them come, um, and who was here because they've already, y'all have already missed like five uh, Sunday nights in a row, and you don't want that awkward text from like Hunter, like, hey, where you been, bro? Um, I could point you out when you walk through the door. So I want to say uh, congratulations to the ones who came ready. Um, I'm excited for God to show you something because a scripture that I've heard over and over and over uh, a pastor that preaches a sermon or passage that I've heard for 10 years, the difference between getting something out of it, um, that's kind of like the student ministry. I didn't get anything out of tonight, or that sermon was good, but like I didn't get a whole lot out of it. The difference between getting something um, is receiving it. The difference between receiving or rejecting is the preparation of your mind and heart before you came in. Uh, and I started thinking that in my own life. Um, I've been going to a passion conference for 10 years now. And it's pretty much the same thing. They do the same thing over and over and over because it works, right? Why mess up something that doesn't work? So as I go into it, if I go into a conference, as y'all come in tonight, you have to start thinking and preparing your heart and mind um, because really the difference between receiving is just a heart issue. Um, I'm going to speak to you for a little bit and kind of just tell you my story. Um, at the same time, I hope that the Lord and the Holy Spirit will kind of encourage you uh, in a way that'll just challenge you, in a way to um, live your life more righteous before the Lord, and then also uh, that it will inspire people because of your walk with the Lord. Uh, one, one thing that I always uh, tell myself is don't stress. Stop freaking out. Some of you are giving me that face because you're like, that's me too, okay? Because you're always stressing out about everything, Okay, have you ever been asked a question? Hey, do you have problems? Actually, just do this like one little quick finger and back down if you got any problems right now. Okay, everybody. Okay, everybody's all right. Actually, some of y'all are like, okay. All right, so here's the, here's the question. If you got a problem, I would ask you the question, can you do something about it? If your response is no, then I would tell you, then quit freaking out. If you got a problem and you can't do anything about it, stop freaking out because you can't do anything about it. Now, give me a quick finger or 10 if you got a problem and you can do something about it, okay? Then why are you still freaking out? 
So my question sometimes in my head is, if I have a problem and I can't do anything about it, I should stop stressing. If I have a problem and I can do something about it, then I should stop stressing. Does this make sense? You say this, and this makes sense, but tomorrow you will still be freaking out. Um, I think the difference is because of a heart issue. If we can figure out how to do something about the thing that stresses us out, um, does anybody have a class before 10 a.m.? Raise your hand. Sinners. <laughs> There's only a few things I like to do, and it's not sitting in lectures before 10 a.m. Um, some of you are stressing out because tomorrow you have a class before 10 a.m. Um, it is not your alarm's fault that you are late. It is not the technology or the alarm's fault. Um, I think uh, on the seventh day of creation, on the seventh day of creation, when Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit took a rest, uh, he allowed the, the prince and power of the air, the devil, to reign on earth for a little while. And this is just a Luke Ayers, uh, you know, theology, not real in the Bible. But I was like, I think he created um, cats. That was of the devil. Um, <laughs> All these girls are like, I have seven cats, you know? Some of the boys are like, that's my only friend. My cat is my only friend, okay? Uh, I think he also uh, created um, mayonnaise. I think the devil created mayonnaise. It's the meaningless, most weird, awkward thing on the world that, goes, that doesn't go on anything. Um, and then he created the snooze button. Um, it will just ruin your life. And I would say that's a college excuse or my excuse, um, but I think it comes down to a heart issue. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, switch right over immediately um, to the book of 1 Peter. Um, this is a big part of my story because of a challenge that I had as a young man. Um, and, it, and it's tough because... Uh, in my family, I told you a little bit of my background when it comes to my family dynamic. Um, at one time, guys, this is just for the guys, raise your hand up if you have any sisters. You ever lived with women? Okay, great. You have no, um, I don't feel bad for you. It doesn't matter. At one point in time, my senior year in high school, okay, some of y'all are freshmen now, so not that long ago, my senior year of high school, I had five sisters. One of my sisters was married and um, didn't have a job, neither did he. They had three girls, okay? So they added three women to my life. My sister, who was a junior in high school, had a girl who was gonna be homeless because her parents were not in her life. Um, she moved into our house. Uh, my 70-year-old grandmother was not healthy at all, and she moved into our house. And then I had my mom, who took care of us all, and then my 90-year-old great-grandmother was very healthy, but a little, you know, and <laughs> she moved into my house. So at one point in time, there was 12 women, plus my dad and my two brothers, all living at my house. And I thought that my life was going to never be the same, to this day is not, but I thought because my dad was a preacher and I was a preacher boy, that I was good. Me and God are good. I can live my life however I wanted to. You can imagine 17 people, 12 of them being girls. I didn't like being at home. I didn't like being at home. I wanted to be as far as the way I could. Um, some of you might have had a weird dynamic, guys and girls, with your father. Um, I was 17. My dad was a Baptist preacher, um, but it was this awkward relationship where, like, Friday and Saturday, we didn't talk at all. 
because it was like walking around on eggshells. But then on Sunday, it was kind of like everybody put a smile on, you know, at church. You know, this is how you do it. I can remember my dad, you know, like eyebrows down, raising the voice. But when you pull in the church parking lot, it's like, all right, everybody get out of the car, smile and be happy. Okay. You know, this is kind of my upbringing um, for a little while. And I thought because I was a preacher's boy that I was um, good. Me and God were good. And I had this false identity because Jesus and Christ, Holy Spirit, didn't exist. But God, and I was competitive, and I liked learning more Bible verses than this person over here. I thought I was good. And I started to realize, as I studied Scripture, as I started to see Scripture, um, that the Holy Spirit was missing from my life. I started to see and understand that God's word was actually meant to be alive, but it wasn't alive to me. So I started looking at books and started seeking wisdom from a coach and a mentor of mine. And I said, God's word is not coming alive and I don't understand. And he said, Luke, I have to have an awkward conversation with you. You need to meet me at Waffle House at 10 o'clock tonight. I was like, okay, this is a weird meeting place for your mentor to meet. Uh, Fast forward, um, 12 years later, it's my favorite place to have any kind of spiritual conversation because you can sit for four hours, spend $2, and leave a dollar tip, and that's it. So it's a good place. Um, I met with him, and he said, Luke, do you want to know why right now? And this is for you. I think there's someone in this room tonight as I was praying that you need to hear this question, and he said, Luke, do you want to know right now why the Word of God is not coming alive to you? And I said, yes. He said, because you have not been made alive. And I was like, what the heck are you talking about? He said, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, you are born again and become alive. I was like, I know, born again, saved. My dad talked about that. I got dunked in the water. I'm good. He said, no, no, no. When the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, you come alive. And when you come alive, the word of God starts to become alive and you start to read it and understand it as truly God's word. So that would be a question for you if you ever read the Bible and it's like not coming alive. I understand scripture can be confusing and you gotta go study and y'all have your theology classes and your Bible classes and different things. But like it's different when something's confusing and then when you're reading it, it makes no sense at all. And I started to realize that My relationship with Jesus, your Christian walk, has nothing to do with being good or bad. And I'll say this, and it's kind of like a vent session, if that's okay with y'all, is like Christianity is not like a behavior modification program, okay? And I know that's a big struggle in 20-something-year-old's life in college, even in high school, because some of the most confusing people that follow Jesus are the ones that don't look like Jesus, right? And then we who are Christians and follow Jesus get upset with people who have not been made alive. So we get upset with people a lot of times who don't have the Holy Spirit in them. So let me ask this question. How does a lost person supposed to act? How are they supposed to act? Like a lost person, okay? Now it's hard when you say, how's a Christian supposed to act? Because you've been made alive, but still have some habits that will always be with you. But I just want to encourage you and also challenge you as you live your own walk and as you love people who are hurting, that Christianity is not a modification, like a behavior modification. It's not just like you come to abide now, you can't do anything bad. 
Okay, if that was true, I would not be standing here. Hunter would not be on staff at a church, and neither would Blake. None of you would be in here if we were basing it on our actions. Now, what I do know is that when I became a Christian, it got even more awkward because when I started to follow Jesus, things started to seem different. My words started to taste different. My actions um, after Friday night football was not as appealing as they used to be. And I was like, wait a second, how come when I was a Christian, quote, Christian, who went to church all the time, all these actions that were, not, that were against Scripture was not okay? So I went back to Waffle House with my mentor, and he said, you've been made alive, Luke. It doesn't work that way. You've been set apart. You are a prince of the king. So look at 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read a couple of verses. And this wrecked my life when I was 19 years old. This literally helped me, and to this day, how I even hang out with people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to Offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I'm just going to stop there in that part of verse 6 and just focus on 5 where it said you've been rejected by men. You've been rejected completely by men, and that was a struggle for me. I stopped getting invited places, and I stopped really having the friends that I thought were friends, and it was a struggle for me. And then I was like, well, I got to do like the Christian thing and like go to college and figure out what God wants to do with me. And I hated it because it was this forceful thing that my parents were putting on. And it was this also, you know, behavior modification thing that I was like trying to prove to myself. And I started realizing in the scripture, I'm going to be rejected by men when the Holy Spirit comes inside of me. But it's because I've been set aside as a royal priesthood. And it started making sense to me when I realized that princes and princesses are treated differently. Anyone in leadership, people either love you or they can't stand you. There's this weird no middle ground of like, oh, I get along with him. Even in church world, if you have a leader, okay, guys, girls that are in the band, people love you or they can't stand you. That's, that's like borderline exactly how everything rolls in life, and it's weird dynamic. And it's even more weird and kind of ticks me off when biblically, as brothers and sisters, we're all princesses and we're all princess, princes of the king. Like we've been set apart as a royal priesthood, and as I look at this, I'm going, okay, all right, I'm a son of the king. I'm a son of the king. I don't have to be ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1 says. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is. It is what brings people to Jesus. And I was sitting there, and I was like literally sitting against the wall going, wow. I will rejoice in the simple gospel. Now, that song, I will rejoice in the simple gospel. Is there a difference, yes or no, in the words simple and easy? Yes, this means yes in Rome. Okay, yes, there is a huge difference between simple and easy. If I told all of you right now, I need you to stand up and walk to your dorm room. Could you do it? Is it simple? Yes, 
It's not necessarily easy. An old proverb says, not in the Bible, but an old Chinese proverb says, one single step is the beginning of a thousand mile journey. A lot of times people don't understand that there has to just be one extra step tonight, tomorrow. And we were praying before, I love, um, one of the guys were praying for people that walk through this door, that bondage, whatever things are holding them down would be taken off of them. And I started praying that during worship. And I was like, well, here's the deal. They're just going to have to take a step. Just one simple step. And that's what I did when I was 19 years old. And then something started to take place because you have to understand, I said it a second ago, that the difference in Christianity is not a good or bad thing. It's a dead or alive thing. And I would say, it's fair to say, because you're in a college town and you wanted to come here and you drove here and you parked and you came upstairs, that most of you in this room have been made alive in Christ. I would say some of you in this room were like me when I was 19 and thought I had a relationship with Jesus. And then statistically saying, um, there is someone in the room who is completely lost and has no idea what I'm talking about. And you in this room, I would ask, you're sitting here and say, how does that guy know I'm in the room? It's because Jesus has put something inside of me, the Holy Spirit, a gift of discernment that you who are not made alive, you who sometimes are happy but have never had a real joy, if someone asks you the question, if you ask yourself laying down at night looking up at your ceiling and say, if I died today, would I spend eternity in heaven with Jesus? Biblically, the Bible would say, if you come to the answer, I don't know. I've asked teenagers just this week, do you know you have a relationship with Jesus? If they answer, I don't know, that tells me their answer. Because biblically, it says, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, that you may know you will have eternal life, that you know Jesus and the mystery of the gospel has been revealed. So if you're in the room and you don't know if you have a relationship with Jesus, there is a major one-on-one -on -one conversation that you need to have tonight to figure it out because the Bible says that you can 100% for sure, without a doubt, know that you have a relationship with Jesus. Um, turn to me because I, I was going to skip this. I really feel like the Lord's telling me, go to Ephesians, um, also chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is uh, something, I don't know how y'all study um, your scripture, um, or if you do at all, uh, preferably before you get your day started, you're going to spend some time with the Lord in scripture uh, to hear. Um, and <laughs> here's, uh, I don't have to ask permission, I can say this, um, shame on you. If you take your Bible and you decide today, God, I just don't want to hear from you. People are like, I don't ever say that. You say it when... It's 10 o'clock at night, and you're barely finishing assignment and trying to keep your eyes awake, and you haven't spent time with God. That's what you're saying. What you're saying is, God, today, just don't want to hear from you. I don't want to hear from you. It's not that big of a deal. Don't want to hear from you. I'm not trying to be mean. This is something that God's teaching me in my life. It's like when I'm sitting there, it's not about the I forgot. It's not about spending an hour and 45 minutes with no cell phone. I'm just sitting and saying that hearing from the Lord Hearing from the Lord happens the most in Scripture. And talking about royalty and talking about royal places, go to chapter 2. Um, let's start in verse 3. Among whom all 
we once were in passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and in the mind, and were by name children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, we were made alive together with Christ. Y'all know this. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated in, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is huge that this is with Christ you have been made alive. Without Christ, you are dead. Without Christ, you are dead. With Christ, you've been made alive. Seated in heavenly places. Like this is a thing. This is where, and how many of y'all have been like really persecuted when you tell like, oh, you want to come to a bite? Or hey, you want to go to church with me? Or hey, I'm a Christian. Everybody has that mindset of like, oh, you're better. You think you're better than me. You know, you know what I'm talking about. When you hang out with people, especially in college, um, uh, for me, when I was in college, I was around a lot of athletes. They're like, oh, why do Christians think they're better than you? Now, I really like to throw them off. If you really feel comfortable with this person, you want to throw them off. You're like, what do you mean? Well, I think it. I know it. I am better than you. And they're just like, oh, I didn't expect you to say that. Because what are they expecting? Some type of like defense, right? I don't defend myself. The Bible says I'm better than you. I'm seated in heavenly places, set apart, a holy priesthood. Are you? I've been made alive. You're dead in your transgressions, bro. And they're sitting here going, what is this guy talking about? Bro, if you, listen, and I don't invite people to church anymore. I don't invite people to church. I wouldn't waste your time inviting people to abide. Don't waste your time doing that. Blake's in the back going, what are you telling them? <laughs> what you do is you walk up and say, hey, do you want to have an experience tonight where you can get more joy and never, never have to worry about anything? Hey, dude, you look like you've been stressing out. What is wrong with you? You need to come hang out with me tonight. And then when they have the question of, well, what is it? Come tonight. I need you to come with me. You'll find out. Well, what is it? It's a bunch of guys and girls, college students. We hang out and we learn about God and we try to figure out where we're messed up in our life and how we can be better. That's what I invite people to do. Now with some athletes, no offense if you're an athlete, but I can convince and bribe athletes to come because they're just like, really like me or like we hang out a lot and we're doing things and I kind of bribe them. So for our college ministry, it's like, listen, dude, I know you haven't been there in a couple weeks, but I'm stressing out. I'm in charge of some things. Could you help me out? Like, yeah, man, what do you need? I just, could you bring a bag of ice? I have another guy bringing drinks. Could you come? Now, what's funny is last Thursday, there was like 12 athletes that brought bags of ice. <laughs> and I was, and literally the college pastor's like, why is everybody bringing ice? I was like, because I told him I needed to bring ice. And we start putting ice in the freezer. Freezer's full. And these guys, what's really funny is when they come in and they're all in the parking lot and they all kind of show up at the same time and they're on the same baseball team and they're all walking in. They're like, did Luke text you? And they're like, yeah, he texts me. <laughs> like I said, don't waste your time inviting people to church because here's the deal. Your friends in Rome, Georgia have been invited to church. Your friends in Rome, Georgia, have been hurt by the church, or in my life, someone in the church. Your friends want to be invited to an experience, to an experience that when they leave out of this door, their Monday is different. That a conversation that they would have never had with you at Waffle House at midnight, now they feel comfortable because you invited them to a place. And then I was just sitting back there going, oh boy, because I know last week y'all had a worship night down in the event center. I was sitting there going, Hunter, y'all better go ahead and decide to just move down there in a couple weeks because I started looking in this room going, okay, there's over 100 people in here. And then I would ask you this, guys and girls, 
Is there one person in Rome, Georgia that you know who follows Jesus, who's had a crappy week and a sucky semester and they're just hurting and they want like for an hour and a half just to forget about stuff and be happy? If you just knew one person, this room and downstairs would not be big enough. And that's what I started thinking. It's not about inviting people to church. It's to invite hurting, stressed out, or lost people to an experience. And if you do that, what happens, especially because you're only here for a time, Rome, Georgia, unless you live in Rome full time, Rome, Georgia is just a period of time in your life where God says, I'm gonna use you, I wanna grow you, and I want you to leave a legacy right here. Because I'm telling you, I, I, I would have never thought when I was in Noonan, Georgia a couple years ago that I would have met Blake and Hunter, you know? And, you know, several social media DMs and all this weird stuff nowadays that happens, you know, I'm here and it's just crazy. And I started thinking even when I just met um, uh, Macon, when I met Macon, y'all are like, oh, you met Macon? <laughs> First dude, no kidding, no kidding. And I'm going way too long. No kidding. I get out of my car. Um, I was soaking wet uh, from the rain coming from Noonan. So I hopped out. I'm changing my shirt out at the truck. And I just see Macon like walking 100 miles an hour. And he's just like, sup, bro? <laughs> and I'm like, do I know this guy? <laughs> and I just started thinking when I got upstairs, I was like, some weird way, I'm telling you, like in the near future, Somehow I'm going to be sharing a stage or at a camp or doing something. God's going to prepare Macon, but right now he's in Rome, Georgia. And I started thinking about all you as you started to pour in, and I started to think, well, there's not enough chairs in here. Y'all kept coming, and I was like, man, this is a, this is a cool place. Rome, Georgia is building up people. Um, I'm going to share a story with you, and we're going to worship again, and I'm going to, uh, we're, we're going to spend just a couple of minutes um, because I feel like whether it's the stress or whether uh, it, something's going on in your life, we're going to spend some time worshiping and praying. Um, I want to do this, tell you a story of when I went climbing on a mountain. How many of you just absolutely hate the outdoors? Raise your hand. Everyone, welcome to Rome, Georgia. Now, some of you, some of you I know are sitting here and you're holding your arms as tight as you can because you want to admit you hate the outdoors, but all your friends will make fun of you. Now, raise your hand if, let me finish this sentence, love the outdoors, but would not necessarily want to be lost for like a long period of time in the outdoors. Okay, most of you, okay? I'm an outdoor adventure extraordinaire, okay? I will do things crazy. I had this crazy goal against my brother as competition. We wanted to sleep outside in 2011 for at least 100 plus nights in, in one year. And like, I was getting close to like November, December, and I was like, man, I'm only at like 87. I was like, I'm gonna have to spend all of Christmas break outside. And I remember I was like at day 98, and I was getting ready for Passion Conference, and I was going to stay in a hotel. And I was like, I have to spend a literally Christmas Eve, the 25th, the 26th, and the 27th. We were outside. And let me tell you a story real quick about when I decided to climb up a mountain and got lost. And I was terrified. I didn't have any water. I didn't have any food. Um, we were in the middle of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Been there all my life. And I said, this is going to be fine. I started climbing, I started hiking, and I took a trail, I took another trail, and then there's these blazes that you're supposed to not get lost, and I just kept going, I just kept going, and I got turned around, 
and I knew that there was a point where it's like, okay, I know the outdoors, I know the adventure, but I was not prepared. I wasn't prepared, I didn't have a phone, I didn't have water, a way to build a shelter. And I started to get a little bit worried. You know the time of your life when you're like, you're not scared, you're not freaking out, but it's like, okay, I'm almost to the point of freaking out. Some of you are in a situation right now where you're not freaking out because you have like a really awesome friend that's like helping you. Um, In the woods by yourself, you have trees. And I wasn't like freaking out, like talking to the trees or nothing, but I was like literally looking around going, okay. Now, if you've ever spent any time uh, hiking or outdoors, they tell you, stay put. Just stay put. If you stay put, someone will find you, okay? Now, when you're lost in the mountains, um, you don't want to listen to anything you've been taught. So I freaked out, and I started running and jogging and trying to figure out where I was going, and I knew as I was climbing and I was going, I was like, listen, I'm going to get to the top of this mountain. Even if I die, I'm going to die with like mud under my nails, climbing to the top of this mountain to figure out what's going on. And I sat down and I remembered a scripture in Isaiah, and you know it well, that you must wait. You must wait. You must have hope. Scripture tells us that hope set aside makes the heart sick. Hope set aside makes the heart sick. And I'm sitting here going, when you take everything in your life and you try to put it on yourself and you try to have the burden of your lost friends and you have the burden of what you're responsible for in your everyday college life, if without hope, you start to have this heart issue. Y'all have heard of all these things that people have, medical problems and things, and they go to the doctor and insurance spends thousands of dollars, and they come home and they're like, we can't figure out what's wrong with you. Some of you spiritually right now, you're going to church and out of church, you come to a body, you go home, and you can't figure out what is going on. I promise you, it's a heart issue. If you can't figure out where things are going wrong, it's a hope and heart issue because hope set aside makes the heart sick. There was a study done uh, with some rats and they put a rat in a bucket of water. I know this is a little cruel, but just listen to it. They put a rat in a bucket of water in a complete dark room. Lasted six hours swimming around. Lasted six hours. They put another one in a bucket of water. Same room. Five hours into it, the rat's swimming. The rat starts swimming slower and slower. Five and a half hours, they put one small beam of light directly into the water. The rat swam around for 36 hours before it drowned. The first one lasted how long? Six hours. Five and a half hours into the second one, One beam of light, one ray of hope, one thing that can just get me to tomorrow. I start thinking about you in this room, and I start thinking about the person tonight as they look at social media who wished, man, the one Sunday night I I should have went to abide. I start thinking about the people that you're going to rub elbows with tomorrow. You literally 
could be the one ray of hope to the one person. We're in a season sometimes in life where God says, have hope and wait for a little while. But when you wait on the Lord, this is the scripture that came to my head as I was lost in this mountain. I will wait on the Lord. And when I do, I will mount up like wings of an eagle. And I started to say, if I would have just waited, and if I would have just prepared, and if I would have just had a little bit more hope for a little longer, I wouldn't have to climb. I could just soar over the mountain. So I ask you figuratively tonight, would you rather be lost and running around, dying on top of a mountain? Would you rather wait, prepare through the hard journey and have wings like eagles? I feel like a lot of times, biblically, that brothers and sisters in Christ, we encourage and we high-five and we pray when we're supposed to. But I want to challenge you tonight that you need to have positive, physical touch reinforcement. And you need to lock arms and pray for each other. You need to move past the waiting and the awkwardness that when you have this thing inside your heart, when you look at someone that says you should go pray with them, yeah, they're going to think it's awkward. But when it's done, they're going to be like, whoa, that's what I needed. Last night at the Alternative, which is a ministry we have, I was standing there and I was kind of in charge of a lot. And I'm standing there like this, about to go up on stage. And I had these three dudes come up behind me and say, hey, sorry, I don't know what you're about to do, but the Lord told us to pray with you. Selfishly, in the back of my mind, I'm getting, I do not have time for this right now. I have to be on stage in like 60 seconds. <laughs> at the end of it, I'm like bawling my eyes out, crying. They won't let me go up on stage. Someone else went up on stage, and like five minutes later, these dudes are just praying for me and praying for me. One of them had no clue that I was coming here tonight. They prayed, Lord, wherever Luke travels and speaks next, let people come to the room and hear truth. And I'm going, well, how did he know that I was leaving in 12 hours to go to Rome, Georgia? Because he pushed past the awkwardness. Don't forget the one ray of hope that you need. It might be just to wait. The Egyptians left Egypt. And what did they have to do? They had to wait until what? They got to the promised land. Because in that land between your faith, if this is Rome, Georgia, it's going to be awkward. Because if Rome, Georgia is where God has you waiting, I'm telling you this to encourage you. Your faith comes to grow here. Your faith sometimes in the waiting goes to die. Because without hope, our heart gets sick. So during this next worship song, I'm going to challenge you. I don't know how y'all end it usually. This is how I'd like to end tonight. During this next worship song, I'd like you to, if God tells you to, move, move out of your aisle, go to a wall, go to a person who may not even know that you know they're freaking out, but you know it. You can see it. Go to that person and say, hey, this might be awkward, but God told me to pray for you actually just skip the awkward part just start praying for them no option some of you no one knows you're freaking out i got spots right here where me some of the girl leaders blake and hunter and we're just going to pray over you not because it's a special altar with a six inch stage but because there's room here so i can walk around and pray and speak truth over you so if you're freaking out about something, you need to come here. Or if you say, listen, I need the joy that you're talking about. I need the hope. My heart's sick. 
If you're one that says, I don't know what's after this, I need to have that one-on-one conversation, you know in here who loves Jesus. Y'all know way more than I do. Go to someone who loves Jesus a little more than you. So I'm going to pray, and I want y'all to just move during worship and just spend time loving on each other. Jesus, thank you for who you are. God, I pray in the name of Jesus against distraction. God, I know that you are powerful and that you are going to be in charge of everything that happens. God, I pray that you would send angels, mighty angels with flaming swords to surround this room, Lord. And I know that you have future pastors and future leaders and future wives and future moms and dads. These are the people, God, that you have chosen, that you love first. Prepare them right now and remind them, Lord, that in the waiting is where you speak and in the waiting is where miracles happen. 